You're listening to PetLifeRadio.com. On the Road with Mac and Molly is brought to you by Dog.com. For everything and anything dog, shop Dog.com today for all the top brands. Greenies, Frontline, Kong, Nylabone, Royal Canin, and more. Shop at Dog.com and use the promo code SADMOLLY, S-A-D-M-O-L-L-Y, and get $15 off your order of $75 or more. Welcome to Pet Life Radio's On the Road with Mac and Molly. This is your host, Donna Haleson, speaking to you from Rouse's Point in the North Country of New York State. In this episode, our focus will be on what went into the auctioning of our home in Pennsylvania and how we've been adjusting to our initial days as nomads. In this go-round, I'll try to give you some sense of what it's like to bring your home and much of what you've collected over a lifetime before bidders. I'll provide some details on the lead-up to the day and the day itself, and I'll share some of the thought processes and swings of emotions surrounding it all. All that when we return from these messages. Sit. Stay. We'll be right back after a short pause. There's a movement afoot. Shoebuy.com. Join the millions of people who shop Shoebuy.com's over 400 brands and 500,000 products. Order now and get free shipping and free return shipping. Shoebuy.com, the world's greatest shoe store. Walk your dog in style and comfort. Enter the code ROAD, R-O-A-D, at checkout and get a 10% discount plus free shipping at Shoebuy.com. Love your pets but wish their medications were a lot less expensive? They are at 1-800-PET-MEDS. You'll not only save on flea and heartworm medications, but on prescriptions for arthritis, incontinence, thyroid, and more. And you get fast service, free shipping, and a 100% satisfaction guarantee. Plus, our licensed pharmacists ensure accuracy, monitor drug interaction, and more. See why over 5 million people have trusted their pet's health to 1-800-PET-MEDS, America's largest pet pharmacy. Call now or order online. Go to 1-800-PetMeds.com forward slash road R-O-A-D to get 10% off any order and free shipping on orders of $39 or more at PetMeds.com. FTD's network of over 40,000 florists around the world have been creating beautiful handcrafted arrangements for 100 years. Each arrangement is delivered the same day and backed by FTD's seven-day satisfaction guarantee. For a century, people have trusted their most important occasions to the flower experts at FTD. Since Pet Life Radio is all about puppy dogs and flowers, our listeners, that's you, can get a 20% discount on your order. Just go to florop.com and use the code LUCKYS20 at checkout. F-L-E-U-R-O-P dot com. Code word L-U-C-K-Y-S and the number 20. Attention passengers, please fasten your seatbelts, put your seatbacks and sleeping pets in their full upright position, and prepare for takeoff. Pet Life Radio presents Travel Tales, the show where you'll get great travel ideas on perfect places for you and your pet. From Paris to paradise, south of the border to the South Seas, Travel Tales will give you cool tips on fun vacation destinations to travel with your pet, pet-friendly hotels, and advice on how to travel safely and happily with your furry best friends. 
So get ready to pack the bags and the bones with your Travel Tales hosts, Susan Sims and Nicholas Veslowski, every week on demand, only on PetLifeRadio.com. Let's Talk Pets on PetLifeRadio.com. Welcome back to Pet Life Radio's On the Road with Mac and Molly. In this episode, our focus is on the lead-up to and the auction of our Pennsylvania home. Risk is the price you pay for opportunity. I came across this observation in an article about the actor Tom Selleck that appeared in a recent issue of Parade magazine. These were words his father had spoken to him that had remained with him over many years, and these are words I found myself returning to often in recent days. Jean and I paid the price we risked to reach for an opportunity, the opportunity to embrace a nomadic lifestyle with our two old English sheepdogs, Mac and Molly. For eight years, we'd lived in and lavish love upon our 18th-century, two-and-a-half-story farmhouse, two-story barn, and two acres of lush gardens, flowering trees, and green expanse. In stress-filled hours, I'd found comfort on this piece of earth. My moments of joy had found even greater expression on this piece of earth. I'd found peace digging in the earth, filling the house with art celebrating and kibitzing over meals with friends and family in the dining room and on the patios. But as a person of faith, I can only say that God changed something inside of me so that I could let all of this go so as to embrace the new life he'd marked out for Jean and me. Our friends and family members were absolutely stunned when we told them what we were planning. How, they asked, could we possibly leave this home that many had deemed a dream home to live in a truck and a trailer with a couple of great big dogs? Talk about downsizing. My husband, Gene, a number of years my senior, has been eager to embark on a grand adventure while he is still hale and strong. I am looking forward to that adventure as well, but I also believe that if I am ever to write as I believe I am meant to write, this is the time to go for it, and the place to do it, the place or places for inspiration, are on the road. But let me not get ahead in the story. Instead, let me go back a few steps. Eleven years ago, I was serving as a visiting professor at two seminaries, one in Massachusetts, one in Pennsylvania. I flew back and forth between Boston and Philadelphia for a year and then accepted a position as a professor and administrator for the school in Philly. Jean then took an early retirement and prepared for the sale of our much-loved Victorian Colonial Revival period home in Ipswich, Massachusetts. We sold the property ourselves. There was so much interest in it we could have had a bidding war, but we honored what we'd set as the purchase price and passed it on to a family up the street who, for many years, had longed to call it home. I found the farm at London Grove online at Realtor.com, and I knew I was home the moment I walked in the front door and laid eyes on the floor-to-ceiling stone fireplace in the heart of the house, in the room that we would come to call the lounge. On that first visit, I could picture us sitting in schlumpy, ultra-comfortable, upholstered furniture, each with a glass of wine in hand, unpacking each day before a roaring fire. (laughs) Oh, yum! 
Well, according to a Chester County architectural inventory undertaken, I believe, in the 1970s, the earliest part of the home was built around 1720. A wing was added in the mid-1750s, and the couple who owned the home immediately previous to us noted that another wing was added in the 1850s. More upgrades were made in the 150 years following. The core of the house is constructed of rough stone over which stucco has been laid. The home is loaded with charm, some of which you can hear, creaky floors, steam heat, and some of which you can see. Odd little hideaways, wide pine floors, original hardware. A terrific house. Some of the street names and businesses that continue on today in the Brandywine Valley of Delaware and Pennsylvania carry the names of those who have lived in the house. Perhaps most familiar among them, Mendenhall, Conant. The property initially consisted of hundreds of acres, and on those acres, generations labored to bring in the crops to milk the dairy cows. An adjacent property housed many of the field workers. Today, it is a single-family home. On the day of the auction, neighbors came by who shared their memories of having worked the farm. They bemoaned how the land had been sliced up over the years to make way for the cookie-cutter developments that sprang up around it. Segway. I was raised in Burlington, Massachusetts. When my folks purchased their charming little picket-fenced Cape Cod-style home on three acres, the community was rife with open space and farms. Then came the Route 128 corridor and all the high-tech industry, and the small town began to look more like a small city. The same thing is happening in Chester County, Pennsylvania. Folks are arriving in droves to embrace the country lifestyle, but when anything comes in droves, transformation occurs. I believe at least a thousand homes were built in London Grove in the years we lived there. The housing boom was accompanied by an upswing in the number of retailers, and now the community is beginning to look like the urban scapes and suburban scapes that folks had been trying to escape. London Grove is undergoing a repeat of what happened in Burlington, what's happening to so many precious little villages across the country. So sad. These experiences should serve as a warning to communities to plan well before all the horses have escaped the barn. Of course, the economy has turned such that fewer folks are looking to buy these properties. Oh, well. I suppose in the matter of building houses, there are risks if you do, and there are risks if you don't. So we're back to risk, and back to the risk that Gene and I took. Look online and you'll find that the first definitions you'll see re-risk relate to finances. Keep scrolling and you'll find dictionary definitions that can be quite unsettling for anyone who's considering taking a risk. The noun form emphasizes the chance of injury, loss, danger. It's all about jeopardy and peril. But interestingly enough, the verb form, while offering up the synonymic hanging by a thread, gambling, going out of one's depth, leaping before looking, playing with fire, plunging in, and skating on thin ice, adds to the picture words that speak to adventure, enterprise, and bravery. When you risk, you take the chance that you may fail, that everything you've known and appreciated may be lost, and that on the other side of the risk, there may be nothing but loss to replace what you've lost. But I would bring alongside the risk of risk Henry David Thoreau's familiar quote about the consequences that can result when one never risks. Thoreau opined, the mass of men lead lives of quiet desperation. In 1845, the author retreated from the village of Concord, Massachusetts, to take up residence in a simple one-room cabin for two years, two months, and two days at the deep Kettle Hole Glacial Pond known as Walden. 
and in what Thornton Wilder called a manual of self-reliance, Thoreau stated his purpose. I went to the woods because I wished to live deliberately, to front only the essential facts of life, and see if I could not learn what it had to teach, and not when I came to die, discover that I had not lived. I did not wish to live what was not life. Living is so dear. Nor did I wish to practice resignation. Thoreau observed that most folks are slaves to their work and enslaved to those for whom they work. He concluded with the famous line, the mass of men lead lives of quiet desperation. What is called resignation is confirmed desperation. A year ago, I resigned from a stress-filled position after reaching a point of great desperation. I'd had enough of being miserable. I took some time to examine my life and decided that I, like Thoreau, wanted to live my life deliberately. I did not wish to be enslaved to work, nor enslaved to those for whom I might work. That said, I had to ask myself, what would that mean? How would that translate into living that which is life? Jean and I had also reached a point where we no longer wished to expend huge amounts of time, energy, and expense in maintaining a large house and land. We decided to sell. We intended to contact a real estate agent and then an auctioneer. But we actually did the reverse. We made our first appointment with the auctioneer, a man named Roger, who had been recommended to us by our friend Ellie. Roger surprised us by suggesting that rather than going the real estate marketing route, that we auction not only the contents of the house, but the house itself. We'd not considered this. We thought of such an auction as a last resort, something to which one turned in the case of a foreclosure or a death in the family. But we learned instead that residential real estate auctions are actually the fastest growing segment of the live auction industry and are a viable alternative to the conventional negotiated method of buying a home. As William Fox notes on the Young Money website, many sellers are turning to the auction method to sell their non-distressed, non-foreclosure homes. What especially appealed to us is that we could set a ballpark for what we wanted to gain from the sale. The sale of the house and the sale of all the personal property that we wanted to put up could all be done in a day. We'd seen too many properties languishing on the market and we didn't want ours to be one of them. We knew we had a unique property, an historic home in a lovely setting, but we also knew there was no guarantee it would sell. Antique homes and land on which they sit require a lot of work. They call for a particular breed of buyer. Now there are a couple of types of home auctions. At an absolute auction, the property is sold to the highest bidder with no minimum and no reserve. At a reserve auction, the route we chose, the seller sets a minimum price that he or she will accept for the property. This reserve amount may be published or unpublished. At the auction, once the bidding is at or above the reserve price, the property is then sold to the highest bidder. If the high bid is below the reserve price, the seller may or may not choose to accept the lower price. If there is only one bidder, the auctioneer may bid on behalf of the sellers to get the price up to an acceptable level. At auction, a buyer's premium of from 5 to 10% is added to the gavel price. Now, in auctions of this sort, the property is sold, quote, as is, where is, and as existing, with all faults and defects, and with no warranties or guarantees expressed or implied. Unquote. Once the auctioneer declares the property sold, the home is sold, regardless of any problems the buyer may discover later. The winning bidder ordinarily places a deposit on the property at the time of the auction. If the buyer doesn't follow through or changes his or her mind about the purchase, the deposit is lost. 
Closing usually takes place 30 to 60 days after the auction. So, two months prior to the date of the auction, we entered into an agreement for a reserve auction with 10% due on the day of the sale, a buyer's premium of 5% added to the purchase price, the closing to take place within 45 days. We also agreed that a 10% buyer's premium would be added to the purchase price of any and all personal property offered on that day. We now had two months to prepare. I'll tell you how it all went when we return from these messages. Sit. Stay. We'll be right back after a short pause. from experience feels like home for her enter the code lucky 10 l-u-c-k-y the number 10 and get 10 percent off any order no minimum at petco.com hello danica where have you been oh grandma i've been busy you know racing go daddy girl oh i built my own online store with go daddy really let me see Grandma'sauction.com. Hey, aren't those Grandpa's golf clubs? Grandma needs her bingo money. Use promo code LUCKY10, L U C K Y, the number 10, and get a .com domain name for just $7.49 at GoDaddy.com. by Mark Winter. Available on iTunes. Coast to coast and around the world, it's All Behave with Arden Moore. Find out why cats and dogs do the things they do and get the latest buzz from wagging tongues and tails in Rin Tin Tinseltown. From famous pet experts and best-selling authors to television and movie stars, you'll get great tail-wagging pet tips and have a fur-flying fun time. All Behave with America's pet edutainer, Arden Moore. Every week on demand, this is the place for a special paparazzi treat, only on PetLifeRadio.com. Let's Talk Pets. Let's Talk Pets. On Pet Life Radio. Pet Life Radio. PetLifeRadio.com. <laughs>
You're listening to Pet Life Radio's On the Road with Mac and Molly. This is your host, Donna Haleson. We've been focusing in this episode on what went into the auctioning of our home in Pennsylvania and how we've been adjusting to our initial days as nomads. The day after we signed the papers agreeing to auction our home, Roger came to photograph the land, the house, and its contents. We walked from room to room and all about the property, calling out what items would be sold and what we would retain. From this conversation, Roger created the listing that would appear in various forms on his website and other auction websites, in regional newspapers, on a flyer, and in a buyer's packet of information. The advertisements and profiles which Roger prepared carried the following description of our home. This property is absolutely exquisite, as evidenced by the beautifully maintained, landscaped, and manicured lawn and flower gardens, the perfect spot to raise a family. Entertain your guests, indoors or out, amongst the tranquil, lush gardens, large yard, and patios. Each promotional piece was so beautifully rendered, the accompanying photograph so inviting, that I really began to wonder if we were completely out of our minds to be letting it all go. But we'd signed a contract. We were committed. Roger erected an attractive, custom-designed sign at the end of our driveway and placed in an adjacent box our listing. I found myself peeking in the box at each day, counting to see how many flyers were gone. I regularly pestered Roger with questions about how many phone inquiries he'd received. He told me that flyers and phone calls are never on-target indicators of how successful an auction will be, but that didn't dissuade me from peeking and asking. Were we crazy to be letting it all go? But we weren't letting it all go. We were keeping all our books, our artwork, most of our antiques, our master bedroom suite, our set of whimsical Don Drum-designed steel cat furniture, our favorite china, redware, and glass pieces, most of our yard art, really everything that actually mattered to us, everything that had a significant memory attached to it. Still, would the people come? What if we ended up selling all our personal belongings and the house didn't sell? Would we find ourselves sitting on crates like we did in our first days of marriage? We might not be left with any pans. We wouldn't even have a TV. Well, we were doing it, so we had to do it. Jean got to work taking down an old, diseased maple tree, felling a 30-foot section in one piece. Very impressive. Then he was on to spreading 22 tons of stone in our 200-foot-long driveway. I worked on weeding, trimming, and mulching the gardens and restoning the walkways. I laundered and ironed linens and made decisions each day about what we would sell and what we would keep. Roger offered to help us prepare the house. The first day he came by, he cleaned and prepped our back porch for painting and helped me weed and trim the rose garden and surrounding walkways. The next day, he was back to finish painting the porch. Our precious friends, Jean and Alan, labored hour after hour alongside of us, helping us clean out the cellar, the attic, and the second floor of the barn. These dear ones were there with us in our last days in the house as well, sorting and packing and stuffing a pod full of all that we wanted to store away for what could be our next two years, two months, and two days on the road. In the midst of all the prep, a woman named Lisa arrived one day with her father, aunt, and daughter in tow. She told us she'd lived in the house some 40 years earlier, was visiting from California, and had stopped by in hopes she might be permitted to walk through the house and walk the land. She had so many precious memories of growing up on the property. Her father was too emotional, she said, to even get out of the car. He had loved the place so. We eventually managed to lure him out for a time, 
and learned from him that he was the one who'd found the Dutch door in the barn and put it in place at the front entrance to the house. He and his family were the ones who had taken down the remains of the old dairy barn. He was surprised to see what has grown up on the footprint of that barn, alongside the sole remaining pair of the entryways, stone pillars, and pieces of the stanchions where the cows were milked, are now terraced gardens, patios, walkways, a rose garden, and a croquet lawn. He, like those before him, like us, like those who will come after us, leave impressions on the land. We pray those are good impressions, and that they're lasting. His family and ours, we are so grateful for the privilege that has been ours in living on the property. Such a blessing it has been for so many over nearly 300 years. On the morning of the first of our two open houses, I turned on the computer and found the lead story there offered a dozen reasons why the housing market was about to completely collapse. Holy mackerel! Oh, but then 50 people made their way through the house during the Thursday night and Saturday afternoon previews. Again, Roger said, good numbers for previews are never on target indicators of how successful an auction will be. Oh, please, give me a break. As we approached the sale day, an Amish family came to set up a purple and white striped tent in our backyard. The man and his two teenage sons wore their traditional straw hats, suspended trousers, dark shirts, and brown shoes, the wife, mother, the full-skirted dress and white cap of the old order Amish. Working like a well-oiled machine, wearing broad smiles and engaged in friendly chatter, the four had the 50-by-30-foot tent up in less than 10 minutes. Roger's auction assistants, two men and a woman, none Amish, arrived on the scene two days prior to the auction to set up for the event, carrying load after load from the house. The tent was filled to brim with smaller items from lamps to linens, from dolls to drapery rods. Furniture and furnishings were arranged on the front lawn. Heavier items like a grandfather clock, a secretary, a china cabinet, a media cabinet were left in place in the house so that people could walk through on the day of the auction and bid on the items in place. Patio furniture and many of the barn items were also left in place, again, so folks could bid on them as they walked. Yard art was pulled from various points and placed in one area in the backyard. Tools and lawn equipment were drawn from the barn and set in the driveway and upper patio. The porta potty man made his delivery. Our friend Charles suggested we put our old Toyota truck in the auction. It looked like it had been driven from Japan to Pennsylvania. A deer had run into the passenger's side and smushed it, but good. It had no AC, the engine light was on, and it would need four new tires before it could pass inspection. So we said, sure, let's throw that in there, too. Good thing. <laughs> we would end up delighted with the surprising price it would bring. Well, finally the day arrived. Two of Roger's assistants came almost at the crack of dawn to set up a registration table in what had once been our dining room. A caterer arrived and parked his truck at the rear of the property. A group of us gathered for prayer, and then we all took our places. Friends and rent-a-cops moved into place at various locations around the property and on the street, ready to direct traffic. Bidders and their accompanying family members and friends started arriving two hours before the advertised start of the auction. These 300 or so poured over what was on offer, registered, and got themselves where they needed to be. Promptly at 10, Roger and another auctioneer, brought in just for the day, launched in. One handled the bidding in the tent, the other at the barn. Friends took the assignments of holding up items, prices right style. More friends carried items to vehicles. 
Drawing particularly lively bidding was a set of Civil War-era glass plate negatives depicting battlefield casualties, wounded soldiers, a military hanging, a gathering of officers, artillery. Up for auction as well was a magic lantern with glass slides, an odd fellow's sword, an antique shotgun, a cast-iron fireback with a rendering of a prancing stag. On offer was German porcelain, a violin, a set of bagpipes, an early yarn winder, a baby grand piano, a concertina, hand-painted floor cloths. Quite honestly, I look at the listing now and bemusedly wonder how I parted with all these things. I guess I just didn't want them anymore. Odd, as I'd certainly enjoyed collecting them. Friends cried as they remembered collecting them with me. In some ways, I think, the parting with these things was more difficult for some of them than for me. At the barn, Jean helped the auctioneer by holding up or pointing to the items for sale, all the tools in his workshop, and more. A bandsaw, a scroll saw, a chainsaw, a power washer, a hedge trimmer, a bench vise, a wood lathe, a bench grinder, sockets, a router, router bits, a welder, a chipper, shredder, a lawn sweeper, a rototiller, a blower, lawn tractors, a log splitter. Jean was amazed to see the auctioneer then put up each shelf for bid, one had an assortment of screws, nails, partially used cans of paint, used and hardened brushes and rollers, and there was more of the same on the next shelf. But people gladly bought what was on each one, and off they went. Gene even sold his homemade potato cannon and radish revolver, both powered by Aquanet hairspray and a barbecue starter button. He and I decided that after the auction we'd light a bonfire and throw in all our stained and torn and well-used, overused work clothes. We never actually did that, though. It was painful to watch some things go for a fraction of their cost. A lovely ginger jar lamp that one would expect to have brought a couple hundred dollars went for four, but then the log splitter sold for a hundred dollars less than one could buy it new. I seemed to be about the only one who didn't have a job, so I wandered about from ten till noon just waiting to exhale, waiting to see if the house would sell. And shortly after high noon, after what seemed like just seconds of bidding, it was over. A dear young couple with two little girls, two dogs, and two cats had secured what the husband called their dream house. The auction of our belongings continued on for four more hours. Roger had told us prior to the day that we shouldn't be disappointed if the rugs, linens, and upholstered furniture didn't sell. They rarely do, he said. But at the close of the day, everything was gone. Our prayers had been answered, and we felt like we were on a god wave of blessing. Mac and Molly had been witnesses to the whole thing, from their 80-by-40-foot play yard, yapping at everybody as they arrived and departed. As the last of the items were leaving the property, I pulled out a bottle of Dom Perignon, and the auctioneer, our friends, Jean and I, lifted our glasses in celebration. When all was counted, we came up a good bit shy of our goal. We had hoped to clear all our debt. That didn't happen. Nevertheless, we did do extraordinarily well, especially when one considers the abysmal economy of the day. And then we took a breath. On October 19, I underwent surgery to repair a badly torn left rotator cuff. A week to the day later, we sat to finalize the sale of the house. Hugs all around. We asked the buyers if we might remain in the house till the end of the month. They graciously agreed. We then set to work cleaning out the last bits. So there I was a week after surgery, sorting through clothes, emptying cabinets, packing up, washing floors and toilets, vacuuming. We actually needed to do three sortings. First, those things that would go in the pod, 
for two years, two months, two days. An explanation actually might be in order here. A pod is a container that you load yourself at your own pace. It's delivered to you, you fill it, and then you call for pickup. The container is then stored in a temperature-controlled and humidity-controlled environment for the period of your choosing and is then delivered wherever and whenever you direct. The second sorting. Those items we would keep in a separate storage facility that we could access when we were ready to move into the truck and trailer. This unit also ended up taking up the overflow from the pod. The third sorting. Those items we would need in the interim before getting on the road as we visited friends and family and as I recuperated from surgery. As I speak to you now, we're just two weeks out of the house, and according to plan, we've spent that time visiting. I am looking out now on the beautiful Lake Champlain. It's 26 degrees. You'd think we might have headed south, but it's warm inside with our loved ones Karen and Celine, five cats and the two dogs here to keep us company. We'll spend some more weeks recuperating and regrouping, but we're already on the road to our nomadic existence. Mac and Molly are adjusting to less time in a play yard and more time on a leash, less time alone together and more time with us. When we travel around, it's no longer in a convertible. Our mode of transportation is now a Dodge Ram 3500 with a mega cab and dual back wheels. We have to use a ramp to get the dogs into the vehicle, but once they're in, there's enough room in the rear cab for all four of us to stretch out. Molly's not eating as well as she had been. She and Mac have needed rice to settle their stomachs, and she's taking some time to get used to sidewalks adjacent to busy thoroughfares, where big trucks and tankers zoom by a little too close for her comfort. Mac more easily rolls with the new, as long as Jean and I are not stressed. When I was under a lot of strain a while back, he licked his very furry paw down to the skin. That's completely healed, and we want to keep it that way. These days we're about living simply, deliberately, fronting only the essential facts of life, seeing if we can learn what life has to teach, so that when we come to the end of our days, we will discover that we have, in fact, lived. I hope you'll join me next time as I share with you how some of that life is lived in the North Country, where folks are hard at work reviving a border town and where dogs and their people can go to chapel together. As always, if you have questions, comments, or ideas for the show, including dog-friendly places needing a shout-out, great events to attend, intriguing folks you think we ought to meet, please drop me a line at Donna at PetLifeRadio.com. We'd love to hear from you as we head out on the road with Mac and Molly. Let's Talk Pets, every week on demand, only on PetLifeRadio.com.